Turn in your Bibles again to uh, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. As Charles was saying, this is not an easy uh, topic to preach because it touched the lives of so many families, and yet it's in the Scriptures, and to be true to God's Word is something that we have to deal with. And remembering the God's grace in all things, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse chapter 10, and reading down through um, verse 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And is Mary the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The second thing you have done, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts you with favor from it. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, Though she is your wife, companion, and your wife by covenant, he did not make them one with the proportion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let, no, let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. The man who does this, the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves. In your spirit, and do not be faithless. The grass withers, the flower fades, of the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I ask you, please, to go in prayer for me as I seek to preach this text. Pray for yourselves also as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We pray for your grace to be at work in our lives at this moment, that we would, Lord, uh, rethink if we have erroneous conclusions concerning marriage, erroneous conclusions concerning the thought of getting married, uh, whatever the case may happen to be. May you bring this text to bear upon your congregation. I ask you to be with me as I preach it, so give me guidance from your spirit. But also pray, our God and Heavenly Father, that where there is the need for repairing damages, that you would grant that grace as well. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 1960s, there was a song written by uh, Gary Goffin and Carol King. It was recorded in the 1960s by a group called the uh, Shirelles. It was recorded again in 1970, released on an album called Tapestry by Carol King. The title of the song is, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? It's about a wife who is uh, concerned that her husband may up and leave. He loves her tonight, but will he indeed, in fact, love her tomorrow? Tonight you're mine completely. You give your love so sweetly, but what about in the morning? These lyrics express exactly what's going on in the day of Malachi. Human nature does not change. It's a fascinating thing to make. Suzanne Adam, a lady who was here for many years, used to say that to me. Human nature does not change, and it doesn't. 
And what is behind the wind, these men treating their wives like this, is nothing less than greed. They are greedy. They're not satisfied. Uh, they want more than what they have and what God has given to them by his grace. And this is happening apparently in large number. That there are men who are divorcing their wives for no good reason whatsoever. Spiritual unfaithfulness is abounding in Jerusalem. Keep in mind, these are God's people. They're not a bunch of strangers that don't know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. They're God's people. They have had the shadows of the Christ to come through the sacrifices that have been made. They have had the prophets to instruct and teach them. Even now, this prophet Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, is coming to instruct them in the ways of marriage. And it is that they have fallen into this, and it is also that there is covenant unfaithfulness all over the place. Listen to this. Being bound to God through faith in Christ means that there are covenant responsibilities placed upon you. There are certain things you are to do, certain things you are not to do, according to God's dictates. Well, it was true in the Old Testament. And so there's covenant disloyalty in the nation. Have we not all one father? Is our God your God? And my God your God? We have one father, and yet we treat one another, he says here, with great treachery. And also disloyal in the family. They're marrying pagan wives. What's a pagan wife, a non-believer? This business of evangelistic dating is not a wise thing to do. I know people that have gotten married to non-believers and they never attended church again until one of them died. That's just not right. It's just not right. So, it's better to marry and be obedient to God to marry within the family of God. And the last thing that brings us to this morning is covenant disloyalty within marriage. Again, husbands divorcing their wives for any and every reason except for biblical reasons. Listen to this. God has a keen interest in your marriage. If you're married, God has an interest in it because he's laid down precepts as to how you are to relate to one another. So don't ever think that he's not looking. Don't ever think that he does not care. He cares greatly. And as, as uh, Charles said a moment ago, he created it. Marriage is his idea. It's a great blessing. Proverbs says, uh, a man who finds a good wife finds favor with the Lord. And so it is a blessing that God has given to us. And do we recognize that? See this this morning as we look at this text. Since God's purposes, since God proposes purposes that every marriage is to be for life, as believers we have to be committed to fidelity. We have to be committed to being together and staying together. We have to be committed to making that marriage work. Three things this morning. The Christian marriage must be characterized by wisdom or knowledge. And third, the second thing is that marriage must be committed, uh, committed to by loyalty. And then this is also the marriage. This must be characterized by a view of what God had intended for marriage to be and what God has intended for marriage to accomplish. And the first thing then, Christian marriage must be characterized by knowledge. From the beginning of time, marriage was created as a creation mandate. It's not something that happened. It was something that God did. It was his purpose. It was his plan. And the phrase, and if you get married, you'll have this phrase in your, in your vows, till death do us part. I've had people that want me to take that out of their vows. I don't know why. Uh, you can't do that. 
I did say it as long as the Lord gives us life. I'm going to do like that, okay? But it is till death do us part. And a man is joined to his wife. And he says this, let no man separate. But Charles said just a moment ago, recorded in uh, Matthew 19, 6, and also in Mark 10, 9 as well. And it speaks of a conjoined relationship. That you're joined together, and you're joined together, not for today, not for tomorrow, not for the next year, but as long as God gives you life, you are bound together in that relationship, and God intended it to be for life. And so it is a bond. It is a bond that is not to be broken except by the cause of death. That's not what's happening here (coughs) in Malachi. Uh, They are leaving, again, their wives for any and every reason. Well, the prophet addresses the husbands here. And the first thing here in the text he addresses the husbands. And the second thing you do, uh, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards your offering and accepts it from favor with your hand. Why? Because you have been unfaithful to your wife. Why have they been unfaithful to their wives? We read here in the text. They're divorcing them. It's no more than buying a used car to the husbands. You know, you buy a car... You're all excited about it. It wears out. Get rid of it. Their wives are no more important to them than a used car would be in our own day and age. They get a little age on them. They get a little wear and tear on them. And so they are getting rid of them. The second thing that you do, he says here in the text, is it is that Malachi over and over and over again points out the sins these people are committing. And every time he does, well, have we done that? What have we done? Which demonstrates the danger of having a weak pastorate, the danger of having priests that are not faithful to the Lord, the priests are not being faithful to God. If the priests who are to instruct the people, who are to uh, encourage the people, lead the people along in the paths of righteousness as they instruct them in the things of the Lord, if they're not being true to God's word, then it's not going to be happening. And so on four different occasions in this book, uh, he says to them, uh, 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 the first was with, he talks about, you have loved us. They say, how have you loved us? The second is, priest, you are despising my name. How are we despising your name? You remember from the text, they're offering polluted animals on the altar. They were to offer those that were perfect because it was a reflection of or pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing you do now, you're covering the uh, altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer has uh, pays any attention to your sacrifice. Well, why does he not, they say? Why didn't he do this? The last thing has to do with tithing. Why do people live as if tithing does not exist in the scriptures? Why? It's a privilege to be able to tithe what God gives to you. A privilege. It's also a command. And I think that uh, we should be those who actually give above and beyond what the God, what the Lord requires. So again, they are saying, what have we done? He says that they are being unfaithful in their tithes and offerings. You are robbing me, God says. How are we robbing you? By being unfaithful in your tithes and offerings. So they are unfaithful in attending to religious exercises. And recognize this, seed breeds sin, breeds sin. Make an allowance here. Why not make an allowance over here as well? Well, you compromise on this. Why not compromise on this as well? That's what's happening in the Old Testament among these people. They're compromising all over the place. They are living as if there is no God and they are not accountable to this God. They are living as practical atheists. 
And again, these are not ignorant people. These are the people of God who have been with Moses, who have heard the instruction of God through the prophets and so forth. And they're living as if they've never heard the gospel in the Old Testament and never heard the, the, uh, the necessity of being and, uh, faithful to the Lord. And they're uh, flooding the altar, it says, with tears. Don't let my voice bother you, please. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. I have some spray. I don't know where it is. So just bear with me. Hear the words, not the graspiness of the voice. So what's happening where they're flooding the altar with tears? This is one of two things. It's either a reference to the wives and they're teary. They're, they're, they're crying. They're sobbing because of how their husbands are treating them. That's one possibility. The other possibility, which I think is more accurate, is the men are crying because God's not hearing them. He is paying no attention to their acts of worship. Paying no attention is not blessing them. And I think that is likely what is to be understood here. Well, tears can be a good good thing and a good sign of a broken heart before the Lord. Not the tears of Esau. Remember Esau cried. Remember that? But why did he cry? It wasn't because he had rejected God. It wasn't because he had been unfaithful to the covenant. It was because he didn't like the consequences of what happened. He was upset about the results of his sin. There are those sincere tears of repentance that are, that, that we always shed those from time to time. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Luke 18, 10 through 14. You've heard this many times. Listen to it. Please pay attention to this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, uh, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. I am not like the other man. Other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get, all that he gets, whatever it may be, in inheritance, all that he gets. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. Said this, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever owned your sin like that before God? Have you ever looked and examined your life and saw this failure here and this failure there and the hardness of your own heart at times? And it brought you to this point in your life, shedding tears before God. We have to understand God hates sin. He hates it. He despises it in the lives of his people. And every time we do something uh, that is untoward as far as God's word is concerned, as far as God's law is concerned, it is an affront to the God who loves us more than we can ever think or imagine. And what's happened in our own day and age, we just simply pass things off. Well, it's not so bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. I did what he did. You know what he did? Well, I'll tell you what he did. I'm not that bad. We have to be like the tax collector who recognizes that God in, in Isaiah chapter 6 uh, in the year of Isaiah, I saw the Lord lifted up and exalted. And his robe was filling the room and his, his throne was there. And the temple was shaking. And I saw the Lord on his throne and the angels were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's the God that we serve. Infinite in holiness. 
And remember Isaiah, uh, what he, how he responded to this. He said, woe is me, I am ruined from a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. There is, when a confrontation with a God who is infinitely holy, there is always going to be a recognition of our failings and our own sin. We have to remember that God is holy, holy, holy. So Jesus says here, the man who recognizes his own sin went down to his house justified. Not the man who was terribly self-righteous. He left still lost. Still under God's wrath and condemnation, he went home, not being justified at all. And it is that these men who are worshiping, offering their sacrifices, God is not accepting them. It doesn't endear God's heart to an individual who is continuing to be rebellious against the Lord, and he comes to worship. Remember what Jesus said? If you're offering your your sacrifice, remember your brother has all against you, go first, be reconciled to your brother. Get things right. Here are the, these fellows here. It's not because they're grieved over their treatment of their wives. It's not because they are grieved that uh, they are not, uh, they have a sense of their own guilt before God. They are grieved because God has ceased to bless them. That's why they're grieved. The exact manner in which this displays itself, I am not sure how it displays itself. But it is something lacking in their lives. And they know that, and they still won't repent. Another thing you do, you flood my altar. With, this is symbolic. You flood my altar with tears. And this is because you're continuing on in your rebellion against the Lord, he says to them. So after committing these sins, these men then uh, brought offerings to the Lord and wept at the altar seeking his help and blessing. Perhaps they had the idea that they could sin blatantly with the intention of coming to God for forgiveness. You've heard people say before, God will forgive. That's his job. That's not sincere repentance. People said something like that. God will forgive. That's his job. That's what he does. He says, I don't have to worry too much about it. Right? I just say, I'm sorry. He says, okay. That's not sincere repentance. Not at all. And that's what these men are doing here in this, in this age. Well, also, Malachi emphasizes the necessity of understanding marriage. So he gives us, when a man marries, he takes a wife. He goes through this. Let's do these, what he says here in the text. Um, she is uh, uh, the wife of your youth. You've been faithless, though you're a companion and your wife by covenant. Your companion. Well, she is uh, someone who is in it with you for the long haul. She is someone who is supporting you. She is someone who loves you. She's a companion. You do things together. You live your lives together. You raise your children together. All of these things. And he brings us out to him. She is your companion. She is your wife. And so she's not just any ordinary woman. Not just some individual that has to be passing by. She is your wife. So a man takes a wife, he says here. And it is also to be understood that God is a witness to that marriage. What does that mean? That means that there are witnesses when they see you get married, they're there and they hear. They listen to the vows that you take before the congregation, right? They hear all that. But there's also God is present there. And God hears the vows that you're taking. Will you forever? Oh, yes, I will. Will you forever? Oh, yes, I will. Till death was part. Oh, indeed, indeed, indeed. And then they don't mean it. I heard someone tell me that there aren't as many divorces as there used to be. That's a good thing. 
but still half of them in the divorce, half of marriage in the divorce. And listen to this, Christians get divorced. Christians get divorced. Don't think because you're a believer that you're immune from getting divorced because that is simply not the case. Marriages can become so entangled, so interwoven with, uh, with problems and difficulties that that is eventually what happens to them. But another thing is, not only is she a companion, she is your wife by covenant arrangement. Charles said, Dr. Robertson's definition, you didn't quite get it right. I'll correct it. Uh, covenant is a bonded but sovereignly administered. Sovereignly administered. Well, that doesn't apply to marriage, exactly. But nonetheless, he calls it a covenant. And there are several places in the Bible, I'm not going to look at it, several places where the marriage is called a covenant. And so it is a binding contract then. People in the Old Testament understood what the term covenant meant. Contract would be the word today. You sign a contract, it ain't good, you're in trouble. Can't do anything about it. I did that because I'm not bright. Uh, signed a contract, I should never have signed it. and got myself in a heap of trouble. You have to read all the little fine print, you have to pay attention to everything that's on there. Or you get in trouble. You have to get your way out of it if you can. So that's what marriage is. It is a binding agreement between two individuals, and it is not to be altered by any way, anything, no matter what happens. So here are these men. They're foolishness. They're getting married. They are losing the benefits of the blessings that God has to give. Uh, they are losing the benefits of the knowledge of God's forgiveness, his love, and his presence in their lives. All of these things they're losing. Well, then the second thing is, uh, people who get married, there must be, must be a good Christian marriage has to be characterized by loyalty. Who's not being loyal here? The husbands are not being loyal. Age brings change, does it not? It brings change. You don't look like you did 30 years ago. You don't feel like you did 30 years ago. I don't. You don't either. And what happened with these individuals here, they were simply looking at the outside, forgetting their obligations to the marriage, forgetting the vows they had taken, and they're sending their wives away. Bye. It was good while it lasted, but it's over. To quote Jake Spoon from Lonesome Dove, she's not as pretty as she once was. And you hear that. Age has robbed her beauty. That's so superficial. So superficial. You have to look at what marriage is. God's sovereignly bringing two people together. Then you live together, raise your children together, and let you grow old together. That's his intention. Well, these men wanted none of it. He saw these girls over here. Oh, my. They're at least 30 years younger than my wife. Look, I appreciate it. I think I'll cast her away. And I'll see you later, they say. And imagine the heartbreak of the wife. I have talked to people who had no idea their husbands were going to cut them loose, cut, cut and run. No idea. They hit it well. But when they did, it was devastating to the wife or to the husband, whichever one left. Devastating. Your world is torn apart. It is that you're having to deal with something you thought when you got married and the wedding day and all the flowers and all the stuff, the cake and all those things, uh, the loveliness of the whole thing. And then it comes crashing down. 
upon the rocks of disaster when the husband leaves. You notice this as well. They're dealing with the wives treacherously. Five times this is used in this, in this chapter. It means they have pillaged their wives. They have treated them unfaithfully. They have been deceitful toward them. They're treating them like a dog. Dogs are treated better than that. They're treating them as if they were non-human. That's how they're treating them. As they run them off and they get rid of them as it is convenient to them at that point in their lives. That is what they want, and that is what they're going to do. Well, what is then the answer to this? Well, what is God? Why does God bring people together? If you would please look again at the text, I will read it to you. And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit that none of you may be faithless to the wife of your youth. Godly offspring. This is a very difficult text to translate. But it seems to be what is being said here is that God brought people together to marry and have children. And those children were to be godly children. They were to be raised up in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. That's what it seems to be at least being taught here. And how are they going to be raised up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord if one of them leaves? It'll be almost impossible for that to happen. <coughs> so, God made them one. He's talking about Adam and Eve here. He made them one to raise up godly offspring, their children. Well, why do we get married? Why has God brought us together? Now, I know some people can't have children because of biological reasons. I'm not talking about that. That's in God's sovereignty as well. But for those who can have children and have children, they're your gift. God gives them to you. They're a gift from God. And you have, there's no such thing as a hands-off parenting. Parenting is not easy. And I know I made mistakes. But we are called to it. To raise up children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. That's what God would have us to do. <laughs> so here are these scoundrels of husbands leaving their wives, ignoring the dictates of God. And they're not staying married because they don't want to. They don't want to. There are biblical reasons for divorce, as I understand the scriptures. Adultery is one. Abandonment is the other one. Paul addresses that in Corinthians. Can a man abandon his wife and still be under the same roof? I think he can. It has nothing to do with her. Does it give her the time of day? Stay in separate parts of the house. That's abandonment. And to treat her with such disdain that it is miserable living in that home. That should never be. And what is behind it all? Selfishness. Sin and selfishness, and that is it. I want something better. You have what the Lord gave to you. You make it better. You make it better. Marriage, I've been married for 137 years. 43, be 44 this July 14th. And uh, there are bumps along the way, the hills and valleys along the way. There are places where it's smooth and level, going real well, but then at other times the bottom drops out, something happens. It can be a rebellious child, it can be finances, it can be uh, the color of the carpet. 
any number of things. A sick parent and taking care of a parent, those types of things that come into your life, there are bumps along the way. But you cling together and you hang together and you work on it. You work on it. You work on it. You pray about it. You pray about it. You pray about it. And you work on it. And you work on it. You work on it. You don't give up and say, well, I've had enough. I don't like this. Too bad. Too bad. That's what God would say to you. Too bad. You're in it for the long haul. So you have to, through prayer and through commitment, make the best of it. Make it good. Not say make the best of it, but make it good. Well, as we live our lives, there are some things that we need to do. I want you to listen to First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. First Peter 3 and verse 7. I've got a marker here, but it's not happening. I'm getting there in just a second. My marker got displaced. Scott, you want to come play something? Uh, let's see. Second Peter 3, 7, I think. I'm finding it. Here it is. This is First Peter two seven. I'm three seven. I'm sorry. Somebody said three. Yeah, three seven. Listen to what it says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her, to the woman as the weaker vessel. People don't like that. The weaker vessel. It doesn't mean she is weak emotionally. Doesn't mean she is weak spiritually. Doesn't mean anything of the nature. What it means is that she is a female. By nature, most men are much stronger physically than women. And a wife is to be cared for. A wife is to be adored. A wife is to be pampered. Well, he's to do that, then you see. It's that's a responsibility. Listen what happened if he does not. Uh, you are to live with her in an understanding way. The husband is Malachi not doing that. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That your prayers may not be hindered. What happens when you get in a fuss? What happens when you hold a grudge against your wife? It says here the prayers are being hindered then. Because if you have sin abiding in your life, you don't want to pray. If you know that you are in rebellion against God, you do not want to pray. So this is hindering their prayer life, he says here. Well, then what are we to do then as believers? Well, you recognize this. That there is forgiveness. Whatever sin we may commit, there's forgiveness. That is unfortunate, and it's sad that divorce happens. It is a sad thing. If it can be avoided, it should be avoided because it's difficult on the children. But if it has happened, then you have to live in that situation, honoring God the best you can, honoring the Lord, and seeking to be the best father or best mother you can be, and not to hold grudges. We can't be like these men of the Old Testament. Honey, you got a wrinkle today. You didn't have it yesterday. Adios. I found something better. It is that you recognize what God calls us to, what God calls us for, 
and you love them and you live with them and you strive with them by God's grace. Make it to the finish line. Let's pray.